Good morning, Alex and friends. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Today in Riverside, California, we can expect a high of 84.6 degrees and a low of 58.7. Now let's take a look at the stories we'll be covering in this episode of Alex's News. First up, the Pell Grant program is expanding to provide free college education to thousands of prisoners. This initiative aims to address mass incarceration and the racial disparities that exist within our criminal justice system. Next, we'll discuss how wildfire smoke from Canada has reached Europe, impacting air quality and visibility in several countries. This is another stark reminder of the global effects of climate change. Then, get ready for a fierce battle as tech giants Microsoft and Activision Blizzard go head-to-head in a $69 billion merger. This mega-deal is set to reshape the gaming industry and will surely have a ripple effect on millions of players worldwide. Lastly, in a tragic turn of events, a Russian missile strike on the Ukrainian city of Kramatorsk has claimed the lives of 10 people, including four innocent children. Dozens more have been injured, highlighting the ongoing tensions and violence in the region. Stay tuned as we dive deeper into these stories and provide you with the latest updates and analysis. Thank you for joining us on Alex's News, your daily source of information. Welcome back to our morning news segment. Our top story today revolves around the expansion of the Pell Grant program in the United States, which now offers free college education to thousands of prisoners. This move comes as part of an effort to address the mass incarceration and racial disparities resulting from tough-on-crime policies from the 1970s to 2000. To give us more insight into this development, we have our news reporter Antoni joining us. Good morning, Antoni. Good morning, Connie. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you, Antoni. So let's start with the basics. Can you tell us more about the Pell Grant program and its expansion to prisoners? Absolutely, Connie. The Pell Grant program is a financial aid initiative designed to assist undergraduate students who demonstrate exceptional financial need to pay for their education. Previously, prisoners were not eligible for these grants due to a ban put in place in 1994 under the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. However, in 2020, Congress lifted the ban, allowing prisoners the opportunity to receive tuition aid and pursue college education. Thank you for clarifying that, Antoni. Now, how many incarcerated individuals are expected to benefit from this expansion? The expansion of the program is estimated to provide $130 million per year in financial aid to approximately 30,000 students behind bars. Since the ban was lifted, there have been 130 experimental programs already in operation, enabling prisoners to access educational opportunities and acquire job prospects upon release. That's a significant number of students who stand to benefit from this initiative. But what are some concerns that have been raised regarding this expansion? Critics have raised concerns about racial disparities in prison college enrollment and completion rates. They also highlight limited space for educational programs within prisons. 
It is important to note that people of color make up a disproportionate segment of the prison population, and their access to college programs may be affected by these disparities. That's a critical point, Antoni. So what have advocates of this program been saying in response to these concerns? Advocates argue that providing education to prisoners can lead to reduced recidivism rates and brighter futures for both individuals and communities. They point to studies showing that prisoners who take courses during incarceration have a 43% lower likelihood of committing another crime and returning to prison. Furthermore, it has been suggested that every dollar spent on prison-based education yields more than $4 in taxpayer savings due to reduced incarceration costs. The potential benefits seem significant indeed. Now, apart from reducing recidivism rates, are there other advantages to providing education for prisoners? Absolutely, Connie. Obtaining a college degree significantly improves prisoners' chances of finding employment after release and avoiding reincarceration. The cost of educating prisoners with Pell Grants is relatively low in comparison to the cost of incarceration. For example, it costs about $106,000 per year to incarcerate one adult in California, while the cost of educating one prisoner with a bachelor's degree program at Folsom State Prison is about $20,000. So it's clear that education can be a cost-effective approach to reducing crime and breaking the cycle of imprisonment. Those numbers are quite striking. Now, has this expansion received support from any notable figures? Yes. President Joe Biden has been a strong supporter of providing Pell Grants to prisoners. His endorsement adds political weight to initiatives, aiming to empower incarcerated individuals to rebuild their lives through education. It's a significant endorsement that emphasizes the importance of education as a means of redemption and reducing recidivism rates. Thank you for sharing that information, Antoni. Now, before we conclude, are there any final thoughts or aspects we should consider regarding this expansion? Absolutely, Connie. While the expansion of the Pell Grant program for prisoners offers opportunities for education and rehabilitation, it's important to address the concerns about racial disparities. Prioritizing racial equity and examining enrollment and completion rates among different racial groups will be crucial to ensuring fair access and making this program truly transformative. Collaborations between corrections departments, universities, and employers are also playing a pivotal role in creating job opportunities for former prisoners who have obtained a college degree, as finding employment with a criminal conviction can be challenging. Thank you, Antoni, for providing such an in-depth analysis of this important story. Your insights have helped shed light on both the benefits and potential challenges of the Pell Grant expansion to prisoners. We appreciate your time, and thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Connie. It was my pleasure to be here and discuss this significant development with you. Welcome back to our morning news podcast. In our next story, we turn our attention to the smoky skies impacting Europe thanks to the wildfires burning in Canada. Joining us now is our reporter, Ellie. Ellie, can you give us a detailed analysis of the current situation? Of course, Connie. The smoke from the wildfires in Canada has traveled all the way to Europe, causing some obscured conditions in Portugal and affecting air quality and visibility in Spain and France. It's important to note that the smoke is situated higher in the atmosphere, specifically at 1,100 meters and above. 
This means that while it may result in striking sunrises and sunsets for European residents, the air quality in Europe itself remains unaffected. Thank you for that clarification, Ellie. It seems like the impact is more visual than anything else. Can you shed more light on the key incidents or elements mentioned in this story? Absolutely, Connie. The primary focus here is the situation in Canada, where nearly 500 wildfires are wreaking havoc. More than half of these fires are classified as uncontrollable, leading to detrimental air quality conditions for communities in close proximity. The smoke from these fires has been confirmed to have reached Europe by the aerosols robotic network as it spans across the Atlantic Ocean and engulfs regions in Western Europe. That's a concerning situation for the people living near those Canadian wildfires. Now, Ellie, based on what we know so far, can you speculate about the potential implications or consequences of these wildfires and the corresponding smoke reaching Europe? Certainly, Connie. One immediate consequence we've already discussed is the visual impact on sunrises and sunsets in Europe. However, a larger concern could be the potential health effects that prolonged exposure to this smoke could have on individuals. While the air quality in Europe remains largely unaffected, there might be some secondary effects on people with respiratory issues or other pre-existing conditions. Additionally, this situation highlights the interconnectedness of global events and how wildfires in one part of the world can have far-reaching consequences. That's an important point, Ellie. Considering other related factors or peculiarities, do we know if there are any measures being taken to address this issue? Absolutely, Connie. In Canada, efforts are underway to control and contain these wildfires, particularly in the areas where they pose a threat to local communities. Firefighters and emergency response teams are working tirelessly to extinguish the blazes and minimize the impact on people's lives. Furthermore, authorities in Europe will likely continue to monitor the situation closely while providing relevant updates to the public. Thank you, Ellie, for your comprehensive analysis on this story. It's a complex situation with potential implications for both Canada and Europe. We appreciate your insights. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we'll be diving into the high-stakes battle between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard as they fight for approval of their $69 billion merger. Joining us now is our news reporter, Arnold, who has been closely following this story. Arnold, what can you tell us about the current situation? Thanks, Connie. Well, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard are facing off against the Federal Trade Commission, FTC in court. The FTC is seeking a temporary halt to the merger, arguing that it would hand Microsoft exclusive access to Activision games. To make their case, the CEOs of both companies, Satya Nadella of Microsoft and Bobby Kotick of Activision Blizzard, are expected to testify during the proceedings. That's quite a showdown. I'd like to dig deeper into some of the key events here. Can you explain why Microsoft believes this merger would benefit gamers? Absolutely, Connie. Microsoft's main argument is that the merger would make popular Activision games more widely available to gamers. They believe this will increase accessibility and ultimately improve the gaming experience. The company has also tried to address concerns about potential antitrust issues by offering to license the tremendously popular Call of Duty franchise to its competitors. Interesting strategy by Microsoft. However, it sounds like they're facing quite a bit of opposition. Can you shed some light on who is opposing the merger and why? Certainly, Connie. While the merger has gained approval from several jurisdictions around the world, it has run into obstacles from the FTC and Britain's Competition and Markets Authority, 
the FTC is aiming to prevent the deal from being finalized before an administrative trial begins on August 2nd. This trial is seen as a significant test for the FTC's oversight of big tech, particularly under chairperson Lena Khan's leadership. So, it seems like regulatory bodies are keeping a close eye on this merger. Are there any specific concerns raised by others in the gaming industry? Absolutely, Connie. Sony, one of Microsoft's main competitors in the gaming world, has voiced its concerns about the merger. Jim Ryan, a Sony gaming executive, has expressed worries that Microsoft could use the popularity of the Call of Duty franchise to gain an advantage over PlayStation. Their perspective aligns with the regulatory viewpoint that this merger could lead to a decrease in competition within the industry. These testimonies and arguments presented in court must be crucial. How long do we expect this legal battle to last, Arnold? Well, Connie, according to my sources, the court proceedings are anticipated to conclude on Thursday. During this time, all eyes will be on Nadella, Kodak, and other industry executives testifying and making their case. It's definitely going to be a crucial period for both Microsoft and the gaming industry as a whole. Indeed, the outcome of this court battle will have far-reaching implications. Before we wrap up, are there any other factors or peculiarities we should consider? Absolutely, Connie. On top of the actions taken by the FTC, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority has also taken measures to impede this merger. It's clear that the deal is facing significant regulatory opposition, making the outcome uncertain. We'll have to wait and see whether the judge will side with the companies pushing through the merger or the regulatory bodies trying to block it. Thank you, Arnold, for keeping us updated on this colossal battle between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. We'll be eagerly awaiting the conclusion of these court proceedings. Thank you, Connie. I'll make sure to bring you any further developments as they unfold. Welcome back to our morning news podcast. We have Jenna joining us to provide an in-depth analysis of a recent tragic event. Jenna, could you please share the details of what happened? Absolutely, Connie. In the eastern Ukrainian city of Kramatorsk, a Russian missile strike took place, resulting in a devastating loss of life for the community. At least 10 people, including four children, have tragically lost their lives, and over 50 others have been injured. The attack specifically targeted a popular pizza restaurant, causing extensive damage to the building itself. That's truly heartbreaking, Jenna. Can you tell us more about this particular restaurant and who frequented it? Of course, Connie. This restaurant was a popular spot for local residents, Ukrainian troops, journalists, and aid workers alike. It was not only a gathering place for the community, but also attracted people from various backgrounds. It's deeply saddening to know that people seeking a moment of enjoyment and normalcy were impacted by this horrendous act. President Volodymyr Zelensky condemned the attack. What did he say, and how is this incident connected to Russia? President Zelensky expressed his strong condemnation of the attack, labeling it as yet another example of Russia's commitment to terrorism. This incident is just one of a series of nightly attacks that Russia has been carrying out on Ukrainian cities situated further from the front lines. The ongoing missile strikes demonstrate Russia's aggressive approach and disregard for innocent lives. Ukraine has recently made territorial gains against Russian forces. Can you expand on that and explain its significance? Certainly, Connie. 
In its counteroffensive against Russian forces, Ukraine has gained control over territories to the north and south of the captured town of Bakhmut. However, it's important to note that Bakhmut itself remains under Russian control. Unfortunately, as a response to these territorial gains made by Ukraine, Russia has significantly increased its missile strikes on Ukrainian cities, leading to the devastation we're witnessing in Kramatorsk. It's disheartening to hear how this situation continues to escalate. Were there any specific targets mentioned by the Kremlin, and does this attack raise concerns about their indiscriminate nature? Ukrainian officials have stated that among the victims of this attack are three children. While the Kremlin claims that its targets are solely entities related to the military, this attack on a crowded restaurant raises concerns about the indiscriminate nature of the strikes. The fact that civilians, journalists, and aid workers frequented this spot highlights the potential harm these strikes can cause to innocent people. Absolutely, Jenna. The rescue efforts must be underway. Can you update us on the situation in Kramatorsk, particularly in terms of potential survivors and the damage caused? Certainly, Connie. Rescue efforts are ongoing in Kramatorsk as dedicated search teams work tirelessly to locate any survivors amidst the debris. Their main objective is to find any trapped individuals and evaluate the extent of the damage caused by the missiles. Given that the restaurant was a popular spot for civilians and foreign journalists, there were several photographers and correspondents present during the attack. Thankfully, only minor injuries were reported, including one Colombian novelist and journalist. It's reassuring to know that there were no major injuries among the journalists, but this incident has still drawn widespread international condemnation. Can you share some responses from key figures? Absolutely, Connie. Ukraine's President Zelensky has called for legal trials against those responsible for this strike, emphasizing the need for accountability. Meanwhile, the White House has criticized the attack, highlighting the extensive death and destruction caused by Russia in Ukraine. The international community is showing solidarity with Ukraine and condemning this act of violence. Thank you, Jenna, for your comprehensive analysis of this tragic event. We appreciate your insights in keeping us informed. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made with ChatGPT, Eleven Labs, and a program written by you. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.